0: you stand with me as we read the Word of God today from Acts chapter 11, we'll read verses 1 to 4, and then our main text, which will be 18 through 26, then we'll pray and get right to the text. So listen now as we read together the living words of the only living God, Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning. What we have in the next 14 verses is Peter's personal Testimony of what we heard twice already in Acts chapter 10 so to verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecutions that arose over Stephen had traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the, the word of the Lord stands forever. He may be seated. Heavenly Father, we stand both in awe and thanks this morning, knowing that this is our heritage. These are our forefathers in the faith. Help us to see that we are them and they were us, living in a pagan, melting pot of society full of false religion, secularism, sin and corruption, yet you have indeed chosen to call out of that mess like you have called us out of ours, to be your holy bride without spot or wrinkle. Teach us as we give ear to your word this morning. Amen. Amen. A little teaching and a little preaching this morning as our study of the book of Acts and the growth of the early church reaches the first Gentile church, our church, In chapter 11, this morning, Jesus has given us his playbook for the growth of the church. You will remember that playbook in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, or to the end of the earth. And as we come to the beginning, to the end of the earth this morning... Here in Acts 11, I think it might be helpful uh, to quickly recall where we've come, and more importantly, to establish a general chronology or timeline of the events that have happened. The book of Acts itself encompasses about 32 plus years from Acts 1 to Acts 28, Yet, as we go from chapter to chapter reading the book of Acts, it seems like just one sequential event after another in rapid succession. And in fact, that's exactly what we see in Acts 1, 2, and 3, for this fledgling young church grows to over 5,000 members in Acts 1, 2, and 3 in probably less than a year's time, very quickly that then time begins to slow down at Acts chapter 4. And from Acts chapter 4 through Saul's conversion at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, there's a full three years that have taken place. And then today, if we can believe it or not, there is a full eight to ten years from Paul in Damascus until our text this morning, And all the details of what happened in those eight to ten years are speculation. But what we do have and what we do know is a big deal. For we know that the Lord is preparing for the expansion of his kingdom to the uttermost parts of the earth, yea, even to Silverado Trail in McKinney from Antioch. Now, we saw last week from Pastor Miller that great illustration, I thought, of the hand of the Lord being on Peter and the other hand on Cornelius and moving them together for his will. And it's really true. The Lord was doing that, and it wasn't that easy. They weren't interested in each other, but the Lord did it for a reason, to force them together as the Gentiles were brought into the kingdom. That leads us to our text today in chapter 11. Acts 10 actually really extends through the first 17 verses of 11. Peter is called to recount what exactly happened, and he does that. Um, And finally, when they hear the story of Peter... All the brethren say, indeed, we know now that the Gentiles have heard the gospel and God is with them. That's a segue directly into our text as they said, if then God has given them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Peter says, almost as if making an excuse... Who was I to withstand those things? And they all agree. And they fell silent. Now, here is a break. And we can see it and we can feel it in the text from that confession of the brethren in Jerusalem to our text. There is a break. And it's not only a break of attitude. It's not only a break of... Of mission in the playbook, um, do you feel the break when you read it? It's like we're digesting the ramifications of what has just been decided and agreed upon, that the Gentiles are included. Look at verse 19. It ends in 18, that the Gentiles also God has granted repentance unto life. Break. Now, there were those who were scattered. It's almost like Luke picks up on the story, only that story is eight years long. Here's our text, and the ramifications of this is huge. The truth of the Gentiles in verses 19 through 26, that the Lord begins the planting of the first of hundreds and thousands of Gentile churches. And the pattern of establishing these churches and what happens never changes. And it will be our pattern to see when Mark preaches his farewell sermon here toward the end of the year and we tearfully plant Cornerstone. For as our sermon title says, as Jesus Christ builds his church ellipsis, dot, 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 we see first that both suffering and surprise will follow. Secondly, we'll see in verses 22 through 24 that encouragement and refreshment will be given to these new churches. And finally, in verses 25 to 26, we'll see blessing and growth assured. So first, As Jesus Christ builds his church, suffering and surprise will follow. In 1894, a furniture builder by the name of A.J. Forbes in California was asked to design and build a handcrafted chair for the platform of the Swedenborgian church in San Francisco, California. He did. And that single chair, still in use today, began the start of an arts and crafts movement nationwide called the Mission Style. What is the key element of this furniture and architectural style? What is the key element of Mission Furniture? Well, it's simply Simplicity, straight lines, up and down, straight lines, vertical and horizontal. Mission design is not confusing, it's not ornate, and it's not complex. Oh, how the word mission is butchered in the church today. Even in the Reformed church today, terms on mission, missional, missional-driven mean many things to many different people. But it shouldn't be so, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ's mission is simple, and it's vertical. We know it, don't we? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mission work is always the same. It's simple and it's vertical. Look at verse 19. It also comes first by suffering and surprise. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, travel as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And if you draw a line almost due north from Jerusalem, a little bit uh, east, you will hit the city of Antioch. But it's the suffering of Stephen and the chasing of the saints to Damascus earlier by Paul that has caused this migration. Is this not how our Lord works time and time again, even in our lives, that uncertainty, loss, and suffering is what the Lord will use to wake us up to his goodness, wake us up to his grace, wake us up for his service? But notice, those scattered were first remaining faithful, speaking the word, for they were converted for sure. They knew the good news, they just hadn't heard the new news yet. The new news that the Gentiles were included in this salvation, that the gospel had come to the Gentiles, for it's, the text says that they spoke the word to no one except Jews. The Gentile church begins with suffering. The history of the church always includes suffering. And always will. We don't look for it. We don't want it. We don't long for it, but we accept it, and we accept it, and we see examples of how to work through this suffering even this morning. We see these disciples fleeing, yet not ashamed to preach the gospel and share their faith, We'll see a little bit later, the Apostle Paul himself, after his conversion, being led out of the gates of Damascus by night, secretly, in a basket. He wasn't being less than faithful. He was using common sense. Not only suffering, when Jesus builds and expands his church, there's always an element of surprise, isn't there? Those whom you expect to be leaders away. Those who you never expect to be faithful are. There are always surprises, and the surprises are wonderful, brothers and sisters. Look at the surprise in this new church. Verse 19 again. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that, was, that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, but 20 there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks or the Hellenists. What a shock. They're actually talking and witnessing to Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus and 21. And here's the delightful surprise. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Who were these heroes? First, they're Jewish Hellenists from Cyprus and Cyrene that decided on their own accord to break with the traditions and preach to Greeks in Antioch. What a shock. What a surprise. How dare they? And what's even the bigger shock is that the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, who were these men? Who were these heroes? We haven't a clue and never will. As one commentator puts it so well, these shall remain unnamed, but not unknown. I love that. And how many times is it the nondescript person, the person of no reputation, that God's hand is upon? It was the same hand of God, brothers and sisters, that put Uh, put on the head of Peter and on the head of Cornelius and drug them together, the same hand upon the Lord were on those unnamed disciples to preach in Antioch and the hand of the Lord was on the people that he talked to and he's getting his work done. Can we imagine what those conversations must have been like? Most likely at an inn, maybe at an eating establishment, place like that. Hey, you're new here. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Cyprus. He's from Cyrene. Yeah. What are you doing in Antioch? Well, we're fleeing into Antioch. We think we're going to live here for a while. Really, what? Well, we, you know, we're Jewish and our faith has just went crazy. Really, what happened? Well, you see that the Messiah has come. What? Yeah, His name is Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord is upon them speaking those words. The hand of the Lord is on those receiving those words. Who is he? Well, he's the son of God that came for sinners and died. I need to hear more about this. Can you come over and talk to me at my house? And there it goes. Faithful witnesses. In of all places, anyon. And here's also the surprise, the most unlikely place we would ever thought we would trace our Christian lineage. Situated strategically between east and west, Antioch at that time was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world, next to only Rome and Alexandria. Yet it was unique in that it was placed where People from the east migrated. People from the south migrated. People from the west migrated. But it was a dirty city as far as sin and religion is concerned. Over 500,000 people lived there. And no Jew in his right mind would want to be there. Ancient pictures and descriptions of the city depict sewage from the east, the worst coming from the east, Sewage from the South and sewage from the West all coming into Antioch and spilling out and polluting the Mediterranean. Think of it as a modern-day Las Vegas to me. Nothing good there. (laughs) The absolute last place we would expect to be the missionary capital of Christianity for the next 300 years Can you even imagine those conversions? The hand of the Lord was upon them. And here we are 2,000 years later as a sovereign plan of God of these unnamed but not unknown missionaries scattered preaching Christ. We will meet them someday, brothers and sisters. Now the question is, could you possibly be one of these unknown Christians that will make a difference to a lost Texan. Maybe neighbors and friends, I think of my neighborhood and the neighborhoods surrounding of totally different ethnic backgrounds like these. Perhaps it's new visitors that come into the church as we have just about every service that we have. Could you be the unknown or the known but unnamed Christian who will befriend them, who will talk to them. And just like our Antiochian brothers, it only takes two things. It takes you being willing and God's hand upon them. And we just will watch the results. Or will the suffering and persecution that if we have not experienced, we will cause us to hide, hoping not to be discovered. Verse 22. Look at what a huge deal this was. So not only when Jesus builds his church do we have suffering and surprise, secondly, we experience encouragement and refreshment. Verse 22. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Sure they did. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now, for most of the rest of our time this morning, we're going to talk about this soft-spoken, selfless hunk of granite, soon to be one of your favorite people in the New Testament, I promise you. Obviously, This news rocked the church in Jerusalem. So they wanted a firsthand report to assess what should happen. Should we establish more synagogues up there? We need to, you know, we've heard it from Peter that it happened. We need someone we can trust to go and just check it out. This is too much to believe. So they took and asked Barnabas. Only the Lord could have orchestrated this strategy and what was to happen next. Now, do you remember this man? We've talked about him several times. We met him in Acts chapter 4. If you want to turn there, verse 36, we met him. And Joseph, Joseph, this man, Barnabas, is named Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levi of the country of Cyprus, He's also Hellenistic. Having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we meet him, and already we can see he's a trusted member of this church in Jerusalem from its inception. He's from Cyprus. He's a Jew. He was most likely radically converted at Pentecost or shortly thereafter, It seems he soon cut all ties with his own life, selling everything, his old life, selling everything and being permanent part of this church. As we'll see, he knew the apostles in an intimate way, and they knew him. Verse 23, he was such an encouragement that the apostles gave him a nickname, Son of Encouragement. Your Bible might say consolation. It's the same thing. Son of encouragement. Can you even dream what it would be like to have a church full of Barnabases here? We couldn't get anything done. What do you need, Peter? Put that trash down, James. That's
1: mine. You know the type. I got it.
0: I don't think the city could contain itself I don't know that a church could with a room full of Barnabases. That's where true revival would be. Oh, the time is ripe for harvests. What would your nickname be if the apostles gave you a nickname? You know, nicknames generally reflect truth in a way. We all can think of nicknames that we've had or others that we've had. Would our nicknames reflect a service to Christ? Would somebody be called the Giver? The Daughter of Prayer? The Son of Cheer and Goodwill? Or would your nickname be the Complainer? Debbie Downer? Kids, what would your church nickname be? Happy One? Mommy's Helper? Certainly, we hope not bursting anger or teller of lies. What would your nickname be? Let's see this son of encouragement in action. Verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And what does he do? Of course, and encourages them that all with purpose of heart should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man. By the way, only time in the New Testament you'll find those words, a good man. Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Here's Barnabas's both his assessment and the description of the results. His assessment is quick. We know he came looking for the right things. Are they circumcising converts, observing dietary and other Jewish laws, customs and tradition, no mention of those? He saw evidence of the grace of God in these converts. Barnabas simply can't do anything but encourage. He's the encourager. Look again at verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad Oh, I want to be like that. I hope you do too. What are the things in this life that really make you glad? We get so easily sidetracked, don't we, on things, entertainment, sports, etc. I had a pastor one time, I may have mentioned it to you before, he used to say all the time, that if your heart leaps at anything more than the grace of God in your life, you are in a backslidden condition. (laughs) And there's some truth to that, I think. What makes you glad, brothers and sisters? And how did Barnabas encourage these final and first and unnamed Gentile missionaries? Again, verse 23, he encouraged them that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. And then almost nowhere, Luke rocks us with this blockbuster of a verse. We're not expecting it, and when we think of the ramifications, it's scary. His strategy and everything comes into place. We don't know that he was instructed to go start the church, you know, decide what should happen. He was there to check it out and report. But what he does when he sees the grace of God, his mind is clicked, and he says, then Barnabas, Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And this word seek in the original means a hard look, a continual, difficult look. It's been years since we heard from this man. Of course, this all starts to come clear, doesn't it? Turn to Acts chapter 9 with me as we see this main target of the son of encouragement. Look at verse 23 in Acts chapter 9. This is the new convert. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, of course, Saul. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night, let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, because that's where he goes, wonderful teaching here. One of the commentaries talks about, you know what happens when a new convert gets on his own? He finds a church. Love that. It's exactly what he did. He goes to
1: Jerusalem. But
0: he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. And did not believe that he was a disciple. We can't blame him, can we? This is the guy that was killing us. Sure, now you want to be one of us? The disciples said no. But yet the son of encouragement, Barnabas, had direct access, not only to the disciples, to the apostles themselves. Look at verse 27 in Acts 9. But Barnabas took him actively took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to the apostles how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. The encouraging, the son of encouragement is encouraging again. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Undoubtedly, it was Barnabas escorting Saul through the secret groups of believers, getting him ultimately to Tarsus, his hometown. And it's here where the story leaves us completely baffled. You remember what the Lord said? told Saul through Ananias in Acts 9.15. He said, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. This is Saul, the guy that went down in the basket elevator and now is hiding in Tarsus. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer. For the sake of my name. Can you even imagine the scene when Barnabas gets to Antioch, searches, finally locates this man? And these are times where it's good to let your mind blissfully wander. Think about this conversion the tears, the catching up. This has been years. Saul goes back to the place of his birth where he was a big deal is an outcast living who knows where probably making tents to to make a living for year after year after year and then he sees him
1: hello Barnabas Saul what are you doing here he says, Paul, it's time.
0: The Lord has done it. I've seen it. The gospel has gone to the Gentiles. What? Where? Antioch. Antioch. Yes, let's go. Oh, I, I, I can't even imagine it. All of those years wondering, am I through? Is this it? God saved me for this? Making tents? being quiet, worried about getting arrested. What am I doing? Year after year after year. And the son of encouragement says, there's only one thing for me to do. I'm going to get him. I heard he's in Tarsus. I'm going to find him. And he does. The son of encouragement does what he does best. Encouraging this man, refreshing him like no one else could possibly do this man who would one day accompany him, not only on the first missionary journey, this man would write the majority of the New Testament. Barnabas encourages, Paul is refreshed, and again, the world is not the same again. But as Jesus builds his church, not only is there suffering and surprise, encouragement and refreshment, finally, there is blessing and growth. That trip from Tarsus all the way back, you can imagine. Tell me more. Oh, yeah, well, this guy happened and this guy. It's, it's, what are we going to do? I don't know. It's just the, the, the excitement, the, the, the thrill to believe I was on the bench. Who knows? Maybe I didn't repent well enough. Maybe I didn't do to be thrust all the way now to doing what his life's desire and his calling was. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. These two friends, these two warriors, these two uniquely called and matched brothers start the first line of unbroken New Testament churches that will never cease until Jesus Christ comes. But look what they did to change the world, Redeemer. Let this sink in. And when he found them, he brought them to Antioch. Listen, listen to these words. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You know what they did for a year? What you're doing here today. Oh, this verse and the last two verses of the book of Acts have become so meaningful to me. We tend, don't we, to think that the book of Acts has this almost mystic narrative of miracles, missionary tales of lore, Jesus building his church. And if we're really doing the work of Christ, shouldn't we see big things, big miracles, big revivals, big conversions That should surely follow. Yet here, in the last words of his pen, Luke shows us at the end of Acts with this giant, the heart of the man. Turn to Acts chapter 28, and we'll look at this real quick and begin to close. A year they're there. Just going to church and talking to people at their house. And look at verse 30 of Acts 28.
1: Then Paul dwelt there two whole years
0: in his own rented house. Here's three years, prime years of Saul's, the Apostle Paul's life. What's he doing? One year he's with Barnabas in a house going to church and meeting people and then two years at the end of Acts 28 he's in a rented house and what's he doing? He's receiving all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence forbidding no one. My apologies. I don't needlessly want to offend. But listen, the last thing we need is an Acts 29. If the Lord would have wanted an Acts 29, we would have it written. We need to end Acts 28 and live Acts 28 just like Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas lived Acts 11 doing the ordinary ministry, ordinary worship, ordinary means of grace. This is where it ends for Paul. What he lived for. What he lived for is what we live for, brothers and sisters. Worshiping Christ together with his means of grace. This is the goal of Christ's mission. This is the goal of the use of persecution, suffering, surprises, encouragement, refreshing, blessing, growth. They they are only meant to bring us one thing, life together in Jesus Christ through the ordinary worship of Christ, through the ordinary means of grace. As we close, let me briefly play the role of Barnabas and be your encouragement.
1: No matter where you are this morning no matter what you need
0: from the heart of the Savior and with the words of His gospel let me encourage you right where you are. You may feel like an outsider. You may have come in here and all of these words and all of this religious talk doesn't make full sense but yet You feel a tugging at your heart.
1: Come join us. We
0: don't get it right all the time. Yeah, we know some words you probably don't. We'll teach them to you. They're not that hard. Come and join us. There's nothing spooky. No long-term education needed. No standards. Just come by I encourage you with all of my being, I encourage you to take that step of faith and follow Jesus Christ. Others of you, you're anything but an outsider.
1: You're an insider. You're
0: in the directory. You're on the prayer chain. Your name's on the roster and you're probably in your seat
1: <laughs> let me encourage you
0: because if you're honest you may be like the apostle paul you may be in, have been in exile
1: for years wondering are you stagnant
0: you may even think like paul may have lord i love you i know you i'm yours but this can't be all there is i just feel like a failure in everything
1: brothers and sisters be encouraged
0: and be refreshed this word and encouragement is the same to me, that Barnabas gave those in Antioch. Failure is not final. Look around. Be encouraged. Be refreshed. You, right now, are exactly where you need to be. Finally, a word to all the Barnabases and those of you who are on your way to be future Barnabases. We know you. We love you. Keep it up, for you are loved and you are appreciated. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you build your church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Oh, it's so true. You use suffering in our own lives. You use encouragement in our hearts all the time, doing your work in these our hearts that are prone to wander. We feel it, Lord. We believe. Help thou our unbelief. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together our hymn of response. Let all things now living, number 125,